Amen. Our redemption draweth nigh. It, there we go. Our redemption draweth nigh. It's right around the corner, folks. Uh, if you can't see the signs, you're blind. And we're going to be talking about this this morning. We're on our second lesson of a uh, uh, sermon series we've entitled, Coming of the Perfect Storm. You have your Bibles this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at the first four verses there. But we'll also go back to the book of Jonah this morning also. As way back in the book of Jonah, you know, there was a sign spoken of about the coming of the perfect storm. You know, we're in this study that we've entitled The Coming of the Perfect Storm. Now, what is a perfect storm? A perfect storm is an expression that describes an event where a a rare combination of circumstances can come together, you know, and magnify into a situation that is drastically bigger than what we could ever think. The term is also used to describe an actual phenomenon that happens uh, to occur as a result of the coming together of circumstances resulting in an event of unusual magnitude. But it's also used to describe a particularly bad or critical state of affairs, which we're in today, arising from a number of negative and unpredictable factors. Jesus, when he was asked by his disciples in Matthew 24 and 3, they said to him, tell us what shall be these, when shall these things be, and what shall be a sign of thy coming and the end of the world? In other words, Master, I'm going to paraphrase that for you, what will be a sign that will help your people, the Christian people, those who know Christ as their personal Savior, to predict when the perfect storm will form that is going to produce a phenomenon of unusual magnitude that will result in a negative and unpredictable factor so horrifying that it will bring about the end of this dispensation. Look here, understand folks, Jesus is coming back and he's coming back very soon. And when he does, there's going to be an event take place like never before. I want to suggest to you that no hurricane has ever hit any coast, you know, that's going to compare to the devastation that's going to take place when this perfect storm that is forming now is going to, uh, you know, come about. A perfect storm, I will assure you, is uh, brewing, and those not prepared are going to be destroyed and spend eternity in a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, a place that burns with fire and brimstone, a place that we call hell. You see, the signs of the time are right before us. You know, as children of God, we should be watching that that day does not overtake us like a thief in the night. And because we are his children, folks, we need to be sounding the alarm that, that, that Jesus is coming. And it's coming very soon. And we need to be clear about that warning. You know, the National Weather Service sounded an alarm, you know, for Hurricane Ida that hit Louisiana last year. You may remember that where some 76 people from Louisiana up to the north, uh, north coast or northeast coast were killed. 
It done over $60 billion worth of property damage, you know, from Louisiana to that northeast coast. Let me tell you, the perfect storm that is brewing is going to wipe out more than 76 people. That perfect storm that is brewing is going to wipe out more than $60 billion worth of property. It's going to destroy this earth. And folks, we as God people must sound that alarm as we're coming to the end of this age and we're beginning the age of Jesus' return and His glory rain here on this earth there is a perfect storm on the horizon and the question is are you prepared when that storm hits i will assure you there were many people in louisiana not prepared and what did it do it cost them their life folks if you're not prepared for this perfect storm that is brewing right now you know it will destroy you it will take your life now last week we saw the response of uh Uh, of Jesus when he was asked by his disciples what would be a sign of his coming and and, and he answered for his people they wanted to know for your people what will be a sign and we talked about that last week now today we're going to kind of turn the corner and we're going to look at what Jesus says to the lost in other words now it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees saying you know give us a time or give us a sign when will these things happen when will this perfect storm come about So today in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, let's look and see what Jesus answered to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In other words, the lost of the world. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, when this, uh, when this, excuse me, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. Verse 3, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it. Unto it's making reference to the adulterous wor- uh, 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 world, the, the, the generation that, you know, uh, you know, is practicing evil. But it's the sign of the prophet Jonas, and after them, he left. After that, he left. Look, the Pharisees, along with the Sadducees, asked Jesus to show them a sign from heaven, and he told them that, look, guys, you can look at the sky. And when you see that the sky is red in the evenings, you say, well, it's going to be a pretty day tomorrow. When you see the sky is red in the mornings, you're going to say, this is going to be a bad day. He said, you can discern the the signs in the sky, but here I am standing right here before you, and you can't discern that. You see, the Pharisees, along with the Sadducees, you know, were tempting Jesus. Look, when I was on a ship, one of the first things I learned is, I guess you might call it a rhyme, that went like this, red sky, uh, red, uh, excuse me, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in morning, sailor take warning. Now that, that, what that meant is in the evenings when that sun went down, if that sky was red, you're going to have a pretty day tomorrow on sea. But if that sky in the mornings was red, it's going to get rough that day. And that's the same thing Jesus was telling the Pharisees, you can look at the sky. And you can discern what is going to happen weather-wise, but you can't look at me standing right here before you and see the signs. Look, 
it's based, uh, the red sky thing is based on the reddish glow of the, of the morning or evening sun that's caused by a haze or a cloud, you know, related to storms in, uh, you know, in that region. And Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, look, you can look at the sky and you can know the weather and what it will be. Yet because you are evil, because you are evil, you cannot understand the, uh, the signs that I have given you. My disciples to predict this certain of uh, this coming storm now let's break this down and, and, and see what jesus was actually saying see what jesus was saying to these that know him not first of all what we can see there is this the lost will never understand the signs of time the lost people of this world today will never understand the signs of time what did he say in verse 3b but you cannot discern the signs of the time. He wasn't talking to his disciples. He wasn't talking to God's people. He wasn't talking to you and me. He was talking to the lost of the world. And he says there's no way you can discern the time. Look, the point Jesus is making here is that uh, uh, you know, he went beyond you know, them not discerning the times uh, of the, uh, excuse me, concerning the end times. They were not able, even able to discern the times that was happening right before them. Here he was standing right before them. You see, the lost will never be able to comprehend the things of God. Jesus was pointing out to them that, you know, they, they, they were able to see and comprehend the things of the world. You know, example, the weather. But the spiritual things that were right under their noses, they were blinded to. And don't miss out on what these people were. These were the religious leaders of the day. You said, well, well go, Pastor, you said they were the lost people. They were lost. <laughs> Just because they were religious did not mean that they were God's people. You know, the point being, simply being religious does not make one a child of God, nor does it help one to understand the things of God. Folks, religion is going to send more people to hell than anything else because religion makes them think they're better than what they really are. Look, Jesus was basically saying to them, if you had any spiritual understanding whatsoever, you might observe the times of the Messiah, you know, that are, are fulfilled in me, Jesus was saying. Now, what were some of the signs that was fulfilled in Jesus? What were some of the signs that were standing right there in front of them? First of all, because they were spiritually blind, they were unable to see a number of things. First of all, they were unable to see, you know, that Jesus was born of a virgin as was prophesied, you know, by the prophet Isaiah. You know, the second thing they were not able to see, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which was prophesied by the prophet Micah. The third thing, Jesus was born at a time when the scepter was departed from Judah and the lawgiver from his feet uh, as, a, as prophesied by Jacob. You know, the fourth thing, John the Baptist would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah and, and prepare the way for Jesus as was prophesied by Malachi in Malachi 3. Another thing they, they wasn't able to see is Jesus said, it was he who opened the eyes of the blind, who unstopped the ears of the deaf, who made light, the lame to walk uh, as a, a leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb to sing all according to the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 35. Jesus said to them, all are signs of the time when Messiah was to come. But these things are right here under your nose. You cannot discern. But like a company of hypocrites, he's saying, you 
who preferred one thing and do another, you come and ask a sign that you might believe in me when you have so many signs right there in front of you and you believe not. All of these signs they had right there in front of them, and more. I could have put more. All of these signs they had right there in front of them, and Jesus said, all these signs are here, and you, you still do not believe in me. Church, we must wake up, and we must see the signs God has given to us, his people, and we must shout the warning because it's impossible uh, you know, for the lost of the world to see the signs of the soon return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing we see here is this. The only sign the lost are going to get are the sign of Jonah, is the sign of Jonah. You see, he said there in verse 4b, there, there shall no sign be given unto you but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, look here. As we have already pointed out, it would do no good for God to give the lost of the world a sign because, first of all, they would not be able to discern it anyway. So Jesus says to them, the only sign you're going to get, the only sign you're going to get concerning that perfect storm that is brewing is that of Jonah and what happened to him. Now, go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah, but to understand the complete context, I believe we must first take a look at Nineveh and, and, and what the condition of Nineveh was prior to Jonah going to it. You see, Jesus was basically saying to them, when the same things began happening on the earth that was happening in Nineveh, then you had better look up because that perfect storm has began to brew. So what was the condition of Nineveh and the sign God was giving the lost of the world? First of all, Nineveh was saturated with idol worship. It was saturated. It was, it was a, you know, a very evil, idol-worship place. In Jonah chapter 1, look at verse 1 and 2. Now the word of God, the word of the Lord, came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. You see, the Assyrians who resided there in Nineveh, they were pagans. And they worshiped many gods, including the god of Assur, which was the god of power. Now, to me, idol worship, the same type of idol worship happening in Nineveh sounds very familiar to me today in our nation. You know, our nation has walked away from God Jehovah and the value system that is set forth by the Word of God, and we've become a nation totally saturated, you know, and deeply rooted in idolatry. Now, you say, how in the world have we become saturated in idolatry? First of all, the majority within our nation worship the God of themselves. It's all about me. You see, as a, as a whole, our nation is in a total mess, and most people think about themselves more than they think about others. They feed that selfish desire within them, and that's all they focus on. You know, with more than 49% of the American population receiving some type of government handout, they now feel that the government owes them. And not just that the government owes them, but everybody owes them. And because of that, they desire more and more, and they're not willing to work in order to obtain that. Because everybody owes me. Look, it's, not a, it's all about self and no one else. Look, let others take care of me because I deserve it. I deserve it. But I think the Bible says you don't want to work, you don't need to eat. You see, it's not up to others to take care of you. It's up to you to take care of yourself. But the mentality of our nation today, it's a selfish spirit. 
Look, and because of this selfish spirit that directs many people, the American family has been torn apart with a majority of the children today growing up in a broken home. And as a result, you know, they grow up thinking that divorce and single-parent homes are the normal rather than the abnormal. And in most homes, the role of the father has been reduced to no longer necessary. In fact, a woman can get more money from the government if there's not a man in the house. Look, abortion is another one. Abortion is a result of a selfish spirit. You see, abortion has brought a curse upon this nation as we have gone so far away from God's value system. Look, abortion is a selfish act because people want to involve themselves in, in, in the ungodly act of fornication. They want to involve themselves in the ungodly act of adultery, yet not retake responsibility for their actions. But let, let, let me just say this. If you want to play, you must be willing to pay the consequences of your sin. And that's what people don't want to do. That's why they have abortion. It's because they want to play with no circumstances to pay for. Look, anything less, anything less than that, being willing to be responsible for our actions is a selfish spirit. Look, you, you, cannot claim, you cannot claim the Bible to be the word of God and believe in abortion. It's just not right, even if it is the law of the land. The third thing we see is same-sex marriage is a result of a selfish spirit. Gay rights is another area that is in the forefront uh, 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 that the church is crumbling to because the pressure is being turned up to accept it as a, as a way of life. And it's not a way of life, according to God's word. Again, if you believe the Bible is true, you cannot agree with same-sex marriage or special rights for gay people who are allowing their selfish spirit to control their actions. You see, according to the Word of God, homosexuality is fornication and it's wrong in God's eyes, just like murder, just like adultery, just like lying, just like stealing, just like gossip or any other sin give, or driven by selfishness. You see, how sad, and think about this, we've got it up here for you, how sad it is that the family has been destroyed to the point uh, uh, the, the definition of the family has been changed to fit culture rather than the family fitting the definition of God's word. And that's where we're at as a nation today. I believe the United States of America, just as Nineveh, is about ready to receive punishment in the form of judgment, and we must repent and we must return to God if there's ever any hope to avoid this coming storm. Look, how sad that the church has lowered its standards so everybody will feel good about themselves. And nobody will be offended. Because as long as we're comfortable in our sin and our worship of idols, then it is deemed okay by society. But I'm here to tell you it's not okay. It's not okay. I don't care what the lost of the world say or even those who would call themselves believers might say. The Bible says, woe to the man who calls, who calls evil good and those who substitute darkness for light. Look, personally, I think we have passed the point of no return as a nation. You know, as this once God-fearing land is about 
to experience something we thought we never would. You know, another thing is greed. Another thing is greed. Greed is a result of a selfish spirit. Greed uh, and the need for more drives this nation, causing corruption in every aspect of government, in every aspect of business, and even in every aspect of many churches. It's all about greed. You know, I, I would be willing to say that at least 95%, this is just my personal, you know, figure I come up with, that 95% of the people in politics today are in it for a selfish reason, not for the betterment of our nation. It's what they can get out of it. I will assure you, you send somebody to Congress, they may go in Congress worth $150,000, $200,000, and they come out worth $2 million. There, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. The next thing is racial division is a selfish act. Look, racial strife is alive and well in our land today, fueled by people who, who stroke the flames for personal gain. I will assure you, we got people out there that's keeping the, the poker going against racial you know, division just because they can gain wealth from it. Look, you have those like Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and even Barack Hussein Obama who have never worked a hard day's work in their life. And the way they get their money is by continuing to stoke racial division within our nation. That's how they make their living. They're driven by, you know, a spirit of, of greed, and it drives them to continue stirring up racial tension within our nation. And all of this <clears throat> ties to idol worship by those within our nation. So what is the answer? Is there any hope, or must we just step back, look up, and wait for our redemption to draw nigh. Is there any hope? Look, this is the same dilemma that Jonah faced. You know, he felt that the people of Nineveh was so wicked. You remember the story. The reason they didn't go, he said, them people ain't going to change. You know, so what did he do? He went the other way. But he went the other way because he thought all hope was gone, so he decided not to carry out the mission that God gave him. You see, that decision to run resulted in the only sign that Jesus said the Pharisees and the Sadducees would receive, and that happened as a result. That sign was Jonah spending three days in the belly of the great fish. Now, the third thing here is the only sign the lost have is the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only sign lost people have. That's the only sign Jesus was telling the Pharisees and Sadducees you would receive. What did he say there in Matthew? Hold your place in Jonah. We're coming back there in a moment. But he said in Matthew 16, 4, there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Look, the phrase sign of Jonah was used by Jesus as a typological metaphor for his future crucifixion his burial, and his resurrection. In other words, just as Jonah was put in the belly of the great fish and spent three days there, then after the third day he was brought forth from the earth, Jesus says, so shall I in just a short time be placed in a tomb for three days, and after the third day I too will come forth from the tomb, and that is your sign. When you see me come forth from the tomb, that is your sign that I am who I say I am. Look, now again, don't miss who this message is directed to, a wicked and adulterous generation. 
the lost of this world. And maybe also those who may be believers yet because of habitual unconfessed sin within their life, they're not able to see the signs that's right before them also. You see, the only sign a lost person will get is the opportunity to hear the gospel message. Look, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, the only sign you're going to get is the sign you're receiving this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't go around saying, well, if I see some of the miracles that took place within the Bible, maybe I would believe. No, you wouldn't because the Pharisees seen all those and they still didn't believe. They still didn't believe. Look, this is just what Jesus was saying to them. You want to see a sign? Then when they place me in that tomb after my death, watch and see what takes place that third day. That will be your sign. able to, And you can understand at that point that I am Messiah. Now the fourth thing is this. The results of the coming of forth of Jonah. Back in Jonah chapter 3, look at that, verses 5 through 10. Here's the results of Jonah coming forth. Jesus said, just as Jonah come forth, I'll come forth. Here's what happened with Jonah. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. This was when he was spit out, okay, his resurrection, so to speak. This is when he went to Nineveh and he preached the word of God, okay? It says, then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And when the word of God excuse me, reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. In other words, the leader of Nineveh called for a fast for the whole place. Verse 8, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that he will, uh, we will not perish. And when God saw their deeds and that they turned from their wicked ways, then God relent uh, concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. In other words, because of their repentance, God changed his mind. United States of America, if we do not repent, that storm is coming. The only hope we have is repentance as a nation. And where does that start? It starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with God's people. So after refusing to go, God, you know, as God commanded, after three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, Jonah repented. He went and he preached to the people. And the result of Jonah's obedience in coming forth from the tomb was fivefold. The first thing is the people believed the message. The people believed the message of Jonah, and they also believed in the God of Jonah. You see, if there's any hope for, you know, lost people in the United States accepting the, 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 the God of the message, they're going to have to accept the message of the God. The second thing is they showed their sincerity by fasting and putting on sackcloth. That showed they were sincere in their decision. The third thing that we see there is, and get this, even the leader demonstrated his sincerity 
by fasting and putting on sackcloth and ashes. Could you imagine Joe Biden standing up in front of the cameras if he could ever get all of his words together and, and, and say that Jehovah is God? And demonstrating in front of the whole nation his repentance by proclaiming that God is Jehovah and fat, calling for a fast of this nation and putting ourselves in sackcloth and ashes. Now, if that happened, God may have a heart attack. I don't know if God can have a heart attack, but you know, if he got over that, you know, I believe he would call off the judgment that's coming upon this nation. Maybe he would call off that perfect storm. Now, the fourth thing we see is this. Every man turned from his wicked way and from the violence which he had. Can you imagine a nation with no more violence in it? No more killing of our law enforcement. No more rapes and murders of people. No more shootings and stabbings. And Can you imagine that? And then the next thing, upon God seeing their deeds, that they turned from their wicked ways, God then spared them from the impeding judgment. Folks, listen, repentance can change the mind of God. Sincere repentance. So don't miss the, 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 the important part of this story. Jonah, don't miss this, Jonah was a stranger to them. Yet when he went in and preached the message, they accepted it. You know, he had, no, he had performed no miracles. He didn't go in there and perform miracles to get their attention, you know, to confirm that he was sent by God. He only came, and his message was short. His message was this, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That was his total message. No miracles, no signs, no wonders. Just stood up and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Yet they repented and they showed themselves to be affected uh, with the message of Jonah. And it brought them to God. Look, the message was short, to the point. It was anointed by God. Therefore, the king, even the king, from his throne, laid down his robe and worshipped God. But Jesus was saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I'm greater than Jonah. I'm greater than Jonah. I was long since prophesied of, you know, and, and foretold uh, to this people to come, and, and I came. I have preached among them, and not only preached, but walked many wonderful miracles and works among them. Yet they are not so much affected as to show the least sign of repentance. What Jesus was saying is Jonah was a stranger to Nineveh. He went in and just preached, yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. No miracles, no signs, no wonders. I come to you with all kind of uh, uh, prophecy about me, with all type of signs and wonders. And you did not recognize me. You did not heed the word of God. Church, the message of the resurrection is the most powerful message that can be proclaimed. You know, I firmly believe that the problem is not the message. The problem is the messengers. For most within our churches, there is Jonah, the Jonah, should I say, that was running from God, rather 
than the Jonah running to a lost and dying world. That's the problem. We're not taking the message that God has sent us to take. You know, wouldn't it be great if the people of God would be like Jonah after coming out of the belly of the great fish rather than the Jonah who went in, you know, to the belly of the fish because he was running from God? Wouldn't it be great if the people of this nation returned to God and, 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 that, that, and, that was, and it was led by the believers of this nation? Wouldn't it be great if the people of God returned to him, take a stand for righteousness, stand firm on the, rather, uh, the word of God rather than compromising just for the sake of getting along? Wouldn't it be great to see a great revival take place within our nation that would cause God to cal uh, calm that perfect storm that is brewing? Wouldn't it be great? It can happen. But it's going to take the people of God being faithful to God. Do I see it happening? I hate to be doom and gloom, but I don't. I don't see it on the horizon. I don't see it happening. Because the people of God as a whole have become content being like the world rather than doing what we can to make the world like the church. And until we do that, folks, we better look up because our redemption is drawing nigh. Now the question for you this morning is, if Jesus was to come today, and again, there's no prophecy has to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. Now, there's a lot of uh, a prophecy needs to be fulfilled before the second coming, okay? And the perfect storm that I'm talking about is that second coming, okay? But before the rapture can take place, no prophecy needs to be fulfilled. It's all been fulfilled. It's just a matter of God looking over at Jesus and say, go get them so we can start this storm. You see, the storm will begin with the tribulation period. The final aspect of that storm will be the second coming. So if the rapture of the church happened today, do you know without a doubt you're going to be raptured out of here before that tribulation period starts? Or are you afraid you're going to be left behind to try to ride out that storm? Only you know that. We're going to have a song of invitation, and if you're not for sure of your salvation, if you're not for sure that if the rapture of the church happened today, that you would be taken out, you need to come during this song of invitation. Let us take you to the cross. Let us get you, you know, to the cross of Jesus Christ so you can be saved and you can have that assurance. Child of God, if you're not spreading the word, if you're not sounding the alarm, maybe you need to make a fresh commitment to God this morning that you're going to begin sharing that message with others about the soon return of our Lord and Savior. Let's pray.